0: Good morning. My name is James Higgins, I'm a reporter here at Ed Quarter and this is the teacher's take on the remote learning model. In a few moments I'll be introducing our three panellists. In the last four months, schools, colleges and universities have been forced to offer students some form of distance learning, but that transition has not always seemed a smooth one. So I'll be asking my panellists today where EdTech has met expectations, where gaps in provision remain evident, and what this mass experiment will mean for the future. Of, uh, of digital facing education. So I have got with us Dr Neilan Palmer, who is the Director of EdTech Digital Learning and Innovation Ashford School. We also have Matt Pullen, who is a senior lecturer in Primary Initial Teacher Education at the University of South Wales. And we also have Dr. Justin Collins, who is an honorary associate professor at UCL, and he's also a urologist um, as well. That will be relevant because he will be talking quite a lot about the teaching of medicine at university. So thank you for joining us, our three panellists. Can you all hear me okay? Mm? Fantastic. I can hear all of you. This is brilliant. Technology has worked. Um, So (laughs) now that we're all up and running. uh, Neelan, perhaps I could turn to you first um, at your school and from talking to, to your peers. Where do you feel um, EdTech has really helped to fill in um, students' education in the last four months? And, and where do you think it's been successful?
1: Thank you for that, Meg. Um Even though Ashford School was so established within its entire blended digital learning environment in school, it was still quite a shock to the system. And it was as sudden as any other school. Um, our, maybe our expectations were much higher because we have um, a system in place where we could continue with our learning. And I think that's probably where the biggest benefit has come, the fact that we've been able to continue and bridge that gap. Uh, where some other schools have not had the opportunity to do so, Uh, but like I said, it was still sudden and very much a shock factor uh, because in the week that uh, prior to us breaking down, I was still teaching teachers how to uh, record their voiceovers or presentations, what it means to teach in an online environment, how to connect with the students online in a live classroom. Uh, but having got all that and you know then understanding how to do how to use these techniques in the first week of our lockdown um, made a big change to our learning and uh, they were able to teach in the various methods that suited them either asynchronous or synchronous um, and at the same time for the students to learn alongside the teachers and um and and continue with their learning so i wouldn't say that we've actually missed out any lessons in fact we may have had to slow down in some areas, depending on the age of the children. Um, so you now have shorter, shorter classroom plus sizes, as long well as class sizes, shorter time tables. Uh, but And started um, revising in other areas. So it's a bit of give and take, but still very much a shock factor for all of us. However, having said that, if this was to happen again, we would be in a good position to pick up every last left off and carry on from home if needed.
0: Do you get the feeling that um, the situation that Ashford School is in uh, is perhaps not replicated around the rest of the country in all other schools? Um, do you feel that there's been uh, some gaps, perhaps, in provision and, and, and where, perhaps, um, schools haven't been as ready to go with this um, as others?
1: Well, I think the schools that have had technology within the environment who have been building on this one-to-one or blended learning environment using technology in the classrooms should have an equal foothold. Now, whether they've worked with their teachers in preparing them uh, to work in this manner, or whether the students are still struggling with the skills, that's a different conversation altogether. But yes, those schools that don't have the technology the fingertips, that have not made it a priority, that have not focused on it in the past few years, may have really struggled. Having said that, There are some schools now that have adopted these um, new technologies and are working with it very quickly so in conversations with some other schools you know three-year strategies digital strategies have now been done within three weeks it's moved that quickly and i i I wouldn't say this is across the board i would say this is really just for those individual schools that have had made it their priority to get this up and running regardless of um, anything else because they've had to continue learning for children
0: um, so, uh, turning um, to, to Matt. Obviously, your your job is not only as a lecturer, but you you help to um, t- to teach future primary school teachers. Do you think that, from um, your understanding of of the way in which primary school teachers are, are taught at the moment, there's a widespread understanding of how to shift your classroom pedagogy to online delivery?
2: Um, I would say it's a mixed real estate across across the board. Um, I think my role when I started at the University of South Wales was to come in and, and really impact on the digital element. That was where my kind of uh, skill set lay. Um, I kind of made it a mission over the last four years to, to support the students to understand the purpose of technology in the classroom. I wasn't there as an ICT teacher um, to give them ICT input. I was there to teach them about uh, technology enhanced learning. Um, so it, you know I, I didn't spend my time teaching them how to do spreadsheets and we didn't do uh, lots of you know PowerPoint presentations. We looked at how the technology actually impacted on them um, and their learners consequently um, to support them in the in the whole development of their learning and, and understanding. I would say on the back of that then, students probably have adapted a little bit easier in the last three months uh, where they've uh, transitioned to having to work from home, not necessarily saying that it's um, been easy for everybody because as we know, some people will have a a better understanding of of how technology can support them than others. Um, But also in that, I've also seen through social media and interaction with, with a lot of our students how they are helping schools um, so for instance our uh, second year students uh, finished their placements in February so therefore they still had a fairly close connection to lots of the schools that they were working with and as a result of that have kept that connection up and I'm hearing lots of great things about how they're trying to support the school as well with with you know ideas of how technology can support uh, programs that schools might be starting to look at. Uh, you know, be that Teams or, or Google Classroom or, or Seesaw or Showbie or, or any of those tools that allow the school to be connected to the student at home. Um, I feel my students have kind of been in that um, kind of mini consultancy kind of position to really support. So it's a real testament to how the program has has been in place to do that wider piece. Um, however, is that a standard thing in teacher training across the country? Um, I'd probably say no. I'd probably say it's not the norm. Talking to lots of um, people that I know, uh, either within HE or, or connected to HE, uh, it seems to be that there's still a focus that uh, technology is an ICT focus, and it's a lesson, and it's uh, how do we develop their ICT skills rather than their understanding of learning and teaching skills. So.
0: I mean, I, th- I think that probably uh, distance learning and online learning is perhaps more established in HE than perhaps it is in um, the earlier years of, of children's education. Um, so, I suppose turning to, to Justin, um, an awful lot of their their education is done face to face on wards mm-hmm. um, in hospitals. So, how has the transition been for for students um, like like yours at UCL?
3: So, I think the uh, the, the... The pandemic has accelerated a lot of changes that were already ongoing, uh, and whenever we talk about uh, medicine and, and, and surgical training, um, it's a mixture of sort of knowledge-based and skills-based, so it's, it's more difficult to do the skills-based uh, remotely, but there are four sort of uh, elements that we need to agree on as educators and also for the trainees or the, the, the students to, to move forward, and one is uh, an awareness of the need to train, uh, need to learn agreement on what that curriculum should be, so standardization. And actually, digitalization drives standardization because it's up there and it's there to be seen and to be agreed with. And then the last two are really access and affordability. And uh, digitalization improves all those sort of four A's of awareness, agreement, access, and affordability. So it can reduce costs, but it can also give access to key opinion leaders, experts in the field. So in things like uh, uh, rapidly changing areas of healthcare, such as med tech, where new technologies are coming on board, new, new techniques and new ideas, it really helps us gather that evidence more quickly and also disseminate the knowledge uh, to introduce these new technologies safely.
0: Yeah, because you, you were mentioning also as well when we were speaking before, that um, one of the, the, the great impacts of this is that the data that can be created um, from students using EdTech and I think particularly as well in terms of assessments you were saying that it was going to really help improve the standardisation of assessments which for, uh, for, for surgeons in particular um, is something quite revolutionary so your overall feeling is that actually the use of EdTech can supplement and improve the quality of medical education.
3: Absolutely. I mean, surgery in particular, I think, is is still a mixture of art and science. Uh, So there are certain skills, uh, but there's also knowledge and there's evidence. Um, If we have standardized approaches, we can can focus more on the science. And if we have agreements on what the skills and the knowledge are and the things that should be done, then we can objectively measure those and collect this data. So digitalization is really data collection, uh, and and that will ultimately lead to uh, auto Automated uh, performance feedback that can be personalised for the individual and maybe, you know, with machine learning and things in real time.
0: Um, Neelam, I mean, one of the things that I suppose, one of the kind of buzz phrases that we're all listening to at the moment is blended learning, flipped learning. Um, and that is something that I suppose can work fairly well for a student uh, at university who has already got a lot of the information they need um, to understand the topics, but for, for children at an earlier age, and I'm thinking more kind of key stage one, key stage two, where they're actually just learning you know, the important components of their education, is flip learning um, a, a reasonable way to expect teachers to try to teach students of that age, and, and therefore is that where EdTech perhaps isn't quite meeting the needs of teachers of that age group?
1: So the theory suggests that, you know, flipped learning is a a very reliable model when you're looking to
0: um,
1: run in an online environment. Um, But like I said again, and and made this quite clear in many of the articles that I've written on LinkedIn, it works really well for those conscientious and older students who are able to carry on their own learning journey independently. Now, for the younger years, it could potentially work if you have parents as teachers at home, but we know that's not going to happen. They still have their own um, jobs to continue and they have to learn to coexist in this environment. So in order to make it work within a family unit where um the parents are working and the students carry on to carry on learning we have found through survey um interestingly enough that students in the younger years in the primary school years prefer the whole one-to-one live environment yes there is a blend so you know you can be in a situation where you first connect with your student initially take registration ask a question see how they're doing from a pastoral welding point of view then introduce new concepts but in a live environment as we have here Um, where I'm talking to my students and the students are responding back to me. This is where I would introduce new concepts, new materials, new ideas. Um, But, you know, we are in a position when we're online, we're working with very young children. So you need to have this information repeated. Now, it's very difficult to ask a teacher to continually repeat the same information over and over again. So what we get them to do also is um, record perhaps just the new concept, the new information onto a presentation as a voiceover and make that available. So that a student, a young student can watch it again and then ask any questions that they have. The whole sort of blended environment where there is live and asynchronous teaching, as well as open questioning, scaffolding, modeling between a teacher and a student is so important in the younger years. And you don't necessarily get that if you're just running a flip learning lesson where you're leaving it to the students to um, carry on their own learning.
0: Have, and in your opinion, have particular tools been more useful for different age groups? So oh. what tools have been particularly successful for teachers um, teaching young children and those that are teaching up at the sort of sixth form level?
1: So, Like Matthew indicated, you know, Seesaw works really well with our younger years, particularly in uh, reception to, to uh, year two in our pre-prep years. And then as they get all the way look at things like Shobi, which is a slightly more formalized environment or spouse jar. Um, it's not so. It's not Office 365, neither is a Google Classroom, but it gives that that give them that formality that they need. Um, Seesaw has a more collaborative approach. Everybody can see each other's work. it can like. You can comment. It's an easy, easy user user uh, friendly tool. Shall we slightly more formal, but. Um, in this manner, students, teachers can offer feedback to the students within a private sort of environment and give them the grades and verbal feedback that they need. As the students get older, I then say we need to look at perhaps a slightly more formalized environment, um, such as Office 365, Google Classroom, even Spark to that extent, or anything like Canvas, um, Moodle, Blackboard as they get into university. That's almost when you want to give them that independency, get them to want to learn on their own, interest them. So that they take hold of the reins and carry on
0: with their learning. Mm. And Matt, in terms of your teaching of teachers in the future, will the last four months change the way you go about teaching primary school teachers in the future? Will this change the way in which you think that they need to understand their, their role and and understand their profession?
2: Uh, yeah, yes and no to that. I think. Um not saying that I predicted that the pandemic was going to happen or anything. So I don't want any conspiracy theories coming out, but um, I've always been a big believer that technology has a role regardless of whether children are in school or at home. I think, um, you know, we talked about blended learning, blended learning doesn't have to be just because children are at home. You can do blended learning whilst children are in school. Um, Exactly as the, the example given previously around, you know, teachers creating videos so they don't have to constantly repeat themselves. That's as valid if you're in the classroom with the student, um, because it frees up teacher time to support in other ways rather than just repeating themselves. So, you know, we've always always looked towards how technology can you know make teachers more efficient in the classroom. So I would say that that's that's definitely going to continue. What has changed in the last few months is, I suppose, being a lot more um, obvious about what we're teaching our students to do. Um, I've already started to look at my modules for the new term. It's, it's going to be taught online because of uh, the restrictions that we have in place um, you know, to minimise uh, students having to come up, uh, onto campus. But we're starting to look at what does that mean? Um, we're going to be, we used to run an action inquiry project uh, where the students would choose something linked to a school development plan of a school they were working with, and they would work with that school and they would, they would carry out um, you know, small scale projects with students to see you know, the impact of uh, you know, online learning, or they would look at outdoor learning or, or something that interested them that linked to the school development plan as an area to improve we flipped that model a little bit and we're actually gonna stipulate to them that they're all gonna do this around remote learning so that we can kind of gather a a big body of evidence about what approaches work for what age groups um, in what regions of of Wales that the children are working in, um, how can we understand access to devices, access to internet, how does it impact on um, households with mixed siblings, um, you know, where where there might be competition for devices and, and parental support time so that's definitely going to change in order for that to happen we obviously probably need to be a lot more explicit with uh, how we deliver to our students what remote learning blended learning hybrid learning all of all of this terminology that's kind of flown up in the last few months just to nail it down so everyone understands what what that terminology actually means um because i think it's become uh, you know kind of a blended terminology approach at the moment where one person says remote learning but they mean blended learning and then you know we've now got hybrid learning chuck in the mix and is that flip learning and and that can be quite confusing and I think education has lots of acronyms that we use for lots of things and now we've got a whole new terminology base that we need to unpick and support students with so uh, from our point of view yes there will be some more bespoke things but also no we we kind of feel that we would we would supporting our, our future teachers with an understanding of, of the role of technology in a wider sense in the first place anyway. So it will just be building on that. And hopefully people will see, well, I, they'd be silly if they can't see it at the moment, exactly what we were getting at when we said technology can support in the classroom regardless of subject.
0: Mm. Do you think that technology can be applied to all subjects of, of a student's primary education or I suppose we, we can sort of imagine how maths and English might work but does it work as well um, for, for more practical hands-on subjects and, and then also of course all of the important emotional education that those students are getting just from being in school, being with their peers is, is there any way of really kind of at the moment faithfully recreating that within a home environment? I think I
2: think the creativity of the teachers is really important and teachers understanding that creative approach. I think when we talk about technology we're not saying everything has to be done on technology. Um as long as the teacher can engage the student in the purpose and the why. The student you know I've seen my son be really creative artistically. He's been cooking more, he's been doing lots of you know physical things. He might then take some photos of those things or make a video to show what he's done. Um, but he's still able to do quite a lot of that um, physical um, application of his skills. Yes, there's going to be a drawback in terms of equipment, so where students might miss the the access to the equipment in certain ways, but I think that's where schools, and I've seen so many schools, be really creative with how they adapt the, the equipment to something which is actually in the house, and that in itself makes science, for example, real, okay, because when you're asking students to explore science that's in their house, and they can see it with everyday objects in their house, that, that's going to help them understand things more. And, I, and I'm sure Nita's going to have sort of more examples of those sorts of things because her, her, her staff will have been doing this on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's just the creativity of the educators to, to start to think differently about what does learning look like. But, it, but equally, I think we can all agree that the face-to-face time with children is, is really important. And as much as I love technology, I'm not an advocate for saying this should all go online and we yeah. should never see children again because um, exactly as you mentioned towards the end there the, the health and well-being element we can support them with like, guidance online of how to improve your mental health but, but ultimately the socializing with other people they're the same age socializing with other adults that aren't their parents that's all really really important stuff so you know, I don't think anyone here would be an advocate of saying, you know, this is the new norm. Let's mm-hmm. just do everything yes, online yeah, and it's it going to yeah. free up money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to come back, actually, to thinking about what this might mean for the future and and, and how these things can be introduced. But I just thought I'd bring in uh, Justin quickly before we do move on. We were just talking there, I suppose, about um, how effective uh, this method is for, for children at early ages and for different subject areas, um, I suppose, for for medicine. Um, at, uh, certainly at an HE level, the quality of the education you receive does depend I suppose even more on the person actually delivering the lecture or delivering the seminar. Um, so do you think that having a more uh, online digital facing education means that there can be a more standardised way that curriculums can be um, developed, and they can be, multiple people can feed into them, and is that a likely outcome of this, that there'll be a more standardised medical training for, for students?
3: I think absolutely. I mean, I'd also agree with what Matt was saying about the sort of interaction. When you're a medical student or even a doctor learning your skills, a lot of it is about the patient-doctor interaction. It's about picking up the subtleties, and we need that sort of experience to develop that. But if you're working on an apprenticeship model, which medicine often is, uh, you're very dependent on what comes in through the the front door on that day of what you learn on that day. Whereas if you have a standardized curriculum with sort of videoed content, um, not only is it it more standardized and you know that you're covering all the learning objectives within that subject matter. Uh, An important difference is that if you're working as an apprentice with an experienced, uh, say a a radiologist and and you're looking at uh, uh, mammograms for, for breast cancer, and, and you know that that uh, radiologist gets 80 to 90% of the diagnosis correct, if they're doing that in the real world, the potential for the student is only really to get up to that maximum of 80 or 90%. Whereas if you had mammograms that were aligned with actual surgery with the histopathology and you had 100% facts about whether this was breast cancer or it was a benign lesion, then you actually create an environment where the student can learn to a higher level of skill and knowledge because you have all the data there. Mm.
0: Do you feel that the, the increased use of data analytics has actually helped you to improve student outcomes?
3: So there's good evidence that if we use um, something called sustained deliberate practice, so if we define what it is that somebody's learning and we test them and train them to proficiency levels, and it's a sort of gated system. Before they move on to the next stage, then that drastically reduces error rates. So it's it's about uh, defining the the um, the metrics. That it's having the ability to be able to label that data in a way that there's agreement between the trainer and the trainee to measure it, to give the feedback, uh, and then to to move forward and improve on on the sort of performance. Uh, that absolutely has a, a profound impact in, on on. And it's, it's very important with things like med tech because then you're, you're more confident you can introduce new techniques and new technologies safely uh, to the patient.
0: Mm. Sticking with data analytics, uh, analytics as, a, as a topic for a second, um, Neelam, do, have data analytics been informing the way that you and your colleagues have been supporting each other in the last four months? And then do you think they will play a big role in the way Ashford um, continues to review its curriculums and pedagogy going into the future?
1: Well, I think there's definitely, um a new place for data analytics. I think we've never had to really use it in this manner. So for instance, within Teams, there is a tool called Insights. And we've been quite dependent on it recently, particularly in this remote learning environment, in terms of finding out how engaged our children were during our lessons. So it's one thing to start a lesson and then, um, you know, everybody—not all students want to put on their video, but then you don't know if they're there in the background studying while you're teaching. Um, So one of the best things we've had is Insights, where you can... Um, which provides data on how engaged your child the student was in that lesson and for how long and the type of conversations that have taken place between you and the student and the type of questions that have happened um, so we can see this in, a, in that particular lesson itself on that particular date or across the board across all the lessons you've had so far in terms of writing reports and sort of providing an idea of how engaged we think the student was, how motivated they want to learn, how many tasks they've completed. That tool, that insight tool has been very helpful, not only to the department, but also to the teacher writing up the reports. It's given us an indica- indication of um, how much the child has been able to adapt to these new ways of working and uh, into these changes. Um, across the board though, it's been limiting. So we can look at insights of data for a student partic- within that particular subject area. But if you want to see it across the board, then there are different tools that we are currently looking into so that we can get a wider and broader um, perspective on the education of the child on its own as a whole.
0: And in your opinion, uh, the reason why some schools and institutions have been better prepared for this than others, is it down to um, individual institutional leadership? Is it down to national frameworks? Is it down to the government's edtech strategy? Where do you feel that perhaps things haven't been really keeping pace with the, the rate of technology and, and the needs of the curriculums?
1: So I think I think educational technology has always been looked at as, as a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 we know ed- tech advocates know the changes that it could make. We know how it can enge- uh, enrich and enhance lessons. We know that if you take it a step further, it can reduce teacher workload. It can create those 21st century skills, develop those 21st century skills for students and teachers. Um, but not all schools have those funds initially, um, and those that want to stay always that those three steps ahead will involve include themselves and invest themselves in new opportunities and, and new trends. Um from an ed tech point of view, from the department level government level, it's never been a priority because it's such an expensive venture, uh, project to take on board however um, it, it, it's not at, we have seen that by not having the technology we actually have have been at lost in some schools so maybe perhaps now after all of this we technology is no longer the f- nice to have or the frills, the, the icing on the cake approach, but rather a necessity. And therefore, it's really important to have it embedded in your um, classroom, in your school, in your culture now, so that when this ever arises again, if it was to happen now, five years down the road or even you know, six months away, we're ready for it. Um, we know that it will at least help us continue, bridge that gap.
0: Matt, turning to you, I know that the situation in Wales, obviously because of the fact that it's a devolved government, things that are ever so slightly different than they are here in England. Um, But in in your feeling, how well do you think um, the the overall, whether it's school leaderships, whether it's teaching unions, whether it's governments, have helped to support the transition? And where do you feel perhaps there hasn't been enough leadership um, on the issue of of edtech historically and, and in the last four months?
2: So I think in Wales we we benefit from having a national platform. Mm, um, so yes. Hub is our is our national platform, which which has allowed uh, you know schools to be able to see what the possibilities are for them. Um, we they they all have access to cloud computing, they all have access to a network of people that are doing you know amazing things with technology in the classroom to support learning. Um, historically, I would say. That potentially there's just a lack of awareness of the of the wealth of things out there to support learning, and not just being about the ICT and how you can collaborate on a on a document together, um, how Office 365 tools kind of allow you to do things in the cloud as opposed to it being on a on a desktop computer. I, I think what we've seen in the last few months is how educators have started to look beyond that. Um, you know the the icing on the cake uh kind of analogy before is is just as prevalent here um i think it's it's always been oh it'd be nice if we could do it but we can't afford it um and i think now you know that that whole situation has changed that you can't really afford not to because you're starting to see how it how this is impacting i'd also say that uh, a lot of the things that have come out from this are how these new approaches can probably support students that traditional methods never supported uh you know the the fact that we have technology that allows access accessibility being a huge thing and we're not just talking about you know children with uh with severe impairments to to learning we're talking about students that just just might have a a language barrier you know eal students that can't understand written english but can understand spoken english and and using technology to be able to speak to you means they can engage in things Um, you know i remember teaching Uh, how many years ago now when I I was still a teacher in a secondary school? Uh, 12 years ago, I think it was, 10 years ago. Um, And my introduction to using technology was because I taught in a school that had 78% ethnic minority, and we would have um, refugees to the country that that literally were in school the day after they came to the country and and didn't speak a word of English, and they would be in my year 10 GCSE PE session. Um, How were they meant to engage with that? So at the time, I just grab technology and thought, okay, look, Google translate might not have been fantastic at the time, but do you know what? It's going to be a lot better than me trying to speak their language because I can't say any of it. Um, and if they can understand broken sentences, but in their language, at least they feel part of something. And I think that, that was kind of the moment that turned me on to the, the power of technology as not being, this is not ICT. This is about actually supporting learning, uh, at whatever level that might be. Um, you know, and as a, as a PE teacher, obviously, mobile learning was critical for me because you know, how does technology support those students when I'm out on a playing field? So you know, we would use mobile learning in that way because I could... I, I, I'm not an expert in all sports, but I've now got a tool which allows me access to experts in sports, which also allows students to see themselves performing, it allows the students to be able to critique themselves. Rather than it all being about the teacher, it just changed everything. And I think that's what we're seeing now um, as things are changing, that people are realizing that technology is not just, you know, as I said before, it's not just spreadsheets.
0: Um, Justin, uh, thinking about, I suppose, higher education, when people go to university, they think of themselves as a member of the UCL community. They go to be part of that campus mm-hmm. experience. Um, but when they're studying, I'm, I'm thinking particularly in your field of urology, um, they might be able to get more out of their education experience by linking up and communicating with people in their same field in universities and, and facilities across the world. Um, which obviously, with with the kind of new technology that we have available to us, is something that is uh, a lot more practical. In your view, what ways could uh, this sort of experiment that universities have have, have really had to go through to try to offer students um, learning in the last four months, how do you think that might shape the way higher education develops now? Because some providers are really um, sort of at the the cutting edge of things and some are still quite a long way behind. So what do you think this might mean for, for the future of higher education?
3: So I think it's very exciting uh, for the future because it enables you to develop a sort of dream team for any subject matter and you can take the leaders in the fields from the different areas in the different regions. Um, we've had a couple of uh, educational projects that we've run in this in the last sort of five years. One was called the Worldwide Robotic Surgical Education Event and we had 18 uh, leading university hospitals uh, operating and answering questions and doing debates and discussions and we sort of... Uh, followed the sun. So it was 24 hours of continuous uh, learning education with the potential to um, communicate with any of these sort of key opinion leaders via Twitter and post questions. And, And if you think of the concept of the sort of Twitter tribes, it was very interesting to me that the first couple of times we did it, we didn't have that many people watching in South America, but once we had a surgeon uh, from Sao Paulo uh, doing live surgery and, and and live events, we started seeing uh, hundreds and, and then thousands of people from South America watching. So the sort of network development and the concept of networks within networks, um, I think is also a gradual thing because people are tribal in their learning, but if you give them options to, to experience new ideas, uh, experience new key opinion leaders with new approaches, that can only be good for learning. And, and I think it takes time to build up those sort of bridges between the different sort of tribal behaviors, but ultimately you end up with a, a much stronger network uh, and, and more access to, to knowledge.
0: And a question then, I suppose, for, for, for both Matt and for Neelam in terms of the way that this might then therefore impact um, uh, school education, obviously schools are now starting to return and hopefully touch wood, although there is none to hand at the moment, uh, that will, will continue to roll out um, across the, the next few months. But do you think that this experiment will change the way in which schools um, nationally start to, to think about ed tech? Perhaps, Neil, if we go first...
1: Um, I know that we're looking at some of the lessons learned in this environment and how we can take it back into our schools. So in terms of, for instance, putting out supply cover uh, when teachers are not around, we now know that we can do, do it exactly through Teams as we've been doing it in this online environment. The teacher doesn't necessarily have to be there, but with enough notice they can record their presentations, hand it through to the students in the Teams environment and then get them to complete the assessed piece of work. So from that point of view, we don't really have that, oh, we need to go look for a supply teacher anymore. So you know lots of costs, a lot of savings in that respect. Um, moving forward though, uh, we you know even though we might be going back to school, we may have to follow a few guidelines. So some of the schools in our school as well, are looking at mixed economy and hybrid approaches. What happens when you go back to school? What happens if a teacher cannot move freely between classes? What happens if he still has students in bubbles? Fair enough, maybe uh, more students within a bubble itself. Do we still need to carry on an online environment within the school grounds and virtually for our boarders and children who are not in school? So we're still sort of considering mixed approaches. It might be that come September, all as well and we're just going to um, go return back to conventional methods of teaching. But who knows what's in the future, whether we're going to have another uh, lockdown. And if we are, then we need to be prepared for bringing in a few year groups or not bringing in a few year groups. So I think those are the things that we're thinking about
0: coming coming back into um, the new academic year. Matt, is there anything I you'd think, add to that?
2: Yeah, I, I think it would be a huge shame to not learn from this. I think um, education has had a very rich opportunity here to pause for a second and I know that I'm not saying teachers have paused what I'm saying is that the, the, the normal has paused and I think there's an opportunity to actually reflect and learn from this as I said before I'm a huge believer in supporting um, the underdog in education the, the students that uh, unfortunately as an educator myself I've traditionally seen that approaches that have been classroom based stand at the front teach them um you know they just have let those children down and i think it would be really interesting to look at some of the data from this to see how different children have engaged in different ways um the the one bit of data that i have readily to hand is my own son who who currently is in the other room at the moment doing some work Um, his maths wasn't fantastic before this happened the last three months his maths has come on no end whether that's because he's had time to, to try things out because he's done maths at a different time of the day when he might be more focused because he's had access to videos that he can watch over and over again to develop his understanding you know there, there's lots of things that we can learn to see how different students have reacted to this that synchronous versus asynchronous you know what does that mean that students need to be in a classroom because that's their need Neela talked about that before you know some of their learners they've noticed that they really need that face-to-face there might be the students that actually you know and i think i was probably one of these as a student do you know what just give me the stuff and let me go off and do it on my own because i'm an independent person and and you know we look at that from early years you know children that just kind of just go get into the classroom and go and find the sandpit and start making stuff and start playing with stuff and they haven't really had any lead on that they're just inquisitive um you know so so maybe there's something in that that we start to unpick all of this and then the the i hate to say new normal but what we go back to might actually be a different approach to things. Um, learning traditionally, if you ask most children, is it happens in school, it happens Monday to Friday, it happens from nine till three o'clock. But we know learning doesn't happen um, just in those times. It happens on the weekend when you go for a walk with your parents and you notice a, a, a tree bending in the wind and you ask the question, "Why is that happening?" That's science, right? You, you're learning all the time. And I think what we've seen now is that learning actually. Is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and maybe children have seen that differently. So, is that where blended learning can support this approach going forward? Where, yes, the, the classroom is a place where a specific type of learning happens, but technology allows that learning to transcend the, the school walls um, in different ways where I might have access to my teacher, albeit virtually, albeit through a pre recorded video to just double check something, you know? I remember Miss telling me about something in science. She made a video about it. I just saw it on a walk. I'm going to go and watch the video again and I'm going to make links in my understanding of things. So I think there's, there's rich opportunities going forward to, to not return back to that traditional approach that might have only so- suited 60% of a, of a year group.
0: I think it's a really interesting point you make because I think we've all realised from working with our colleagues that some of us have taken to working from home every single day like a duck to water and others have found that much more of a challenge and why should the same be any different for, for children as young as four or five some will probably enjoy having a bit more independence. We have only got a few more minutes left but I just thought I'd direct this last question because I think it was one that all of us were kind of interested in talking about before before this webinar which is that issue of trust and who teachers, lecturers um, can trust when they are trying to um, bring ed tech into their their classroom and um, so i suppose this is a question i'll direct to each of you in turn so perhaps justin will start with you do you feel that there is um enough uh, uh, awareness amongst lecturers and your colleagues around what tools to use how to do it where to get the information and who to trust uh, when when doing these just making these decisions
3: yeah i mean I, I think in healthcare we're very traditional at our learning so that there is um there is a need to sort of evolve that approach, and, and the part of that would be change management. Uh, I think as people experience, develop their own experiences with uh, digitalized training, they can see the benefits of it. A lot of training is still, whether it's in the classroom or with medical students, is subjective assessment uh, and actually digitalization gives you the metrics to say this is where you need to improve. Um, So I see that as a a real opportunity and and that'll be the the sort of the foundation that we build on because we know we have more objective ways of saying you can build on this level of knowledge because you've you've shown that you understand it. Uh, Going forward with new new technologies, I think we will see things more like virtual reality and augmented reality more integrated into learning curriculums. And ultimately, that'll deliver on some of the uh, the skills assessments maybe as well that we're, we're missing in the current sort of wave of e-learning, um, which doesn't really let us get to the the technology and the interactions with the patients so i I think it's all all good and and it does need leadership and it does need people to identify uh the opportunities and and really what we need in healthcare is the evidence to show that it's better and then it'll be more rapidly adopted
0: Um, neelam what about your point of view
1: sorry just a meeting um i would say i would trust my peers uh those working in the same industry as me in probably in a similar role as I, um, and and the sort of work they've done, I would obviously look at their background, if they're active practitioners, um, how are they? What are some of the challenges they're facing, um, and and the ways they've taken it forward? I'm, I'm really more interested now in the sustainability of it. We know it works now in terms of engaging in motivation and looking at this perhaps in a long-term environment. What does that look look like for us? We know it's gonna it can work in short bursts but imagine doing this for six months or nine months at a stretch. How are we gonna make a difference? And then when I'm in that position, I'm going to look at my peers who I know are making the changes on ground level um, and and then are able to speak about it confidently. There are a lot of voices in the environment at the moment. Uh, A lot of people saying a lot of different things, sometimes repeating the same message over and over again, um, which is making no difference. So uh, I would like to look at those people who are perhaps the bigger thinkers, willing to take calculated risks, um, but are in a position similar to mine in a school trying to make things work.
0: Um, uh, Matt, I'd, I'd love to bring you in there. Can you, can you add something, um, hopefully quite short, because we are literally now at the very last <laughs> moments of the webinar. Thank you.
2: Um, I, yeah, I would just kind of say, completely agree with Neela, that you've got to have people speaking from experience. Um, mm-hmm. So people that have done it, people that have actually walked the path um, I also think that lots of schools are going to be looking towards their obvious lines of advice, be that local authorities, be that, you know, their ICT coordinator, whoever it might be. And I would just urge those people to make sure that they are taking this time now to broaden their understanding of things and not necessarily look down the traditional routes of things that they know about, but actually taking on board things that we've talked about here. There's a a wealth of information. And maybe if teachers and head teachers and senior leaders don't have the time to kind of filter all of that, maybe the responsibility of these kind of trusted advisors should be to, to use their time to develop their understanding of what is available. Um, so that if if a school is going to that person for advice, they know it is a rounded advice, not just what that individual is comfortable with, with sharing. Because I think, um, you know, if we look at the certainly for me a lot of the the conversations I have with schools is around you know do we go with mobile learning um, like tablets or do we go with laptops and chromebooks and those sorts of things sometimes the advice is based on what the person advising them has a has a knowledge base on as opposed to what is best for the school and the learning intention of the school and ultimately the child Um, because actually chromebooks might not be best suited for that child because they, they don't have keyboard skills, um, or, or they need to be more mobile because they're a four-year-old. And actually, do you know what? They, they wanna go outside and explore the world around them. And how does technology support them with that? So then maybe you know, a, a tablet is a better suit for that. And I think that's what schools need at this point, is this is what we're trying to achieve from a learning and teaching point of view, what technology helps us achieve that, not the other way around. The technology definitely should not be driving the learning.
0: Thank you, Matt, for that. Um, sorry to have to interrupt you there. Um, but thank you so much uh, for joining us, Matt, uh, Neelam, and Justin. Um, I really appreciated listening to you. And I, I mean, I, I wish we had another 15, 20 minutes because I feel like we could just talk about this all the rest of the day. Thank you.